0: I am, I am um, mourning the loss of summer, but like Sue said, I'm actually kind of excited about the fall too. It's supposed to slow down, but it hasn't slowed down yet, but once soccer ends, I think maybe it will a little bit, probably not, but <laughs> it's a nice thought anyway, it's a nice thought. Um, we're going to be in Genesis 50 today, which there's some significance to Genesis 50, does anybody know what it is? It's the last book or the last chapter of Genesis, which means that we will have completed studying through the entirety of the book of Genesis, which is a pretty big deal, I think. I think that's a huge deal. I really do. And especially in the way that we went through it so methodically and meticulously as we went through it, reading every word. And dwelling on every, every sentence and every chapter and every theme and everything that's taught through Genesis, I think that's a huge accomplishment. I mean, we've studied through some books in the past, but I don't know about you, but I found the studying through the Old Testament to be really, like, intimidating. So it feels so good to accomplish a, a big task like this. It really is a milestone for, for um, what we've studied through so far. And I think we found a lot of really great things. Uh, we, struggled, we struggled with a lot in Genesis, huge theological questions, um, huge points of history and geography and, and, and all of it. And through it, we, we pulled out a few themes that really stuck out to us. If we were going to summarize the whole book of Genesis, I think that you would agree with me that it's a book about God's faithfulness. It's all about his character and his goodness, witnessed through creation, and in caring for his people. It's about his justice in punishing the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the wrath of the flood, and disciplining the brothers of Joseph, while emphasizing his mercy in rescuing Noah and delivering Isaac from the altar and Joseph from prison to royalty. Genesis reveals the character of God, of who he is, in his complete image a God of justice and of mercy, of goodness and compassion and love. It shows him to be in control and sovereign. He is God. And as you read through Genesis, you see and understand the weight of who he is. The heroes, the biblical heroes, the patriarchs that are mentioned in Genesis, the story that that goes on from like chapter 12 on, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob— These are not remarkable men in terms of their accomplishments or what they did. They're remarkable men because they trusted God, because throughout their lives, God taught them to trust him. And so they're recorded here for you because of their response. God taught them to trust him, and they did, period. (laughs) And God showed himself in all their times of need that he was faithful, that he was going to see them through and through all his promises and everything that he had ordained and planned out, that he was going to see that through. He is personal with his people, never abandoning, abandoning them. Speaking with Adam in the garden, warning Noah and leading Abraham. And he even comforted Jacob in all of his worries. And throughout the whole book, we can see that he is in control. Nothing catches him off guard. Instead, his people get to look back on the events of the past and see his faithfulness, giving them strong confidence in the future. We learned that it was God who taught his people to trust him, to have faith. What seemed out of control to them was not, in fact. Actually, we learned it was preordained. God had planned it from the beginning. All their trials and all their victories, God knew beforehand and worked all of it for his ultimate purpose to eventually bring about their Savior and to restore them to himself. So when we're looking at Genesis 50, we're seeing the the culmination, the wrap-up of all of that. And we see Joseph, a great man of faith, and chapter 50 points this out when he speaks to his brother, brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. This cycle of worry, relieved by faith, happens repeatedly. When Sarah was unable to have kids, God reassured her. And then all the way through Joseph, who was forgotten in the dungeon. These children of God learned and leaned On their father, they learn to trust him with their entire lives. So, open your Bibles to Genesis fifty, please, and we'll learn the final lesson Genesis has to teach. And while we're um, while we're turning to Genesis fifty, I want to give you a quick recap. So we know that Joseph was sold into slavery. After he was sold into slavery, um, his brothers essentially abandoned him and lied about him, uh, where he was. And Joseph, through prison and, and through all of that, he ends up rising to power in a miraculous, supernatural way when he's called out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And through that, Pharaoh puts him in charge of all of Egypt. So now he's the, the number two, but he's the, he's the dude in charge. He only answers to Pharaoh. And through that, the brothers that had rejected him will eventually be saved by the brother that they rejected and so now that, they, now that they have been saved from that famine and from death, they're placed in this place of great land and plenty. They're, they're put into Egypt in the nicest part of the land, which is, even if you look at Egypt on a map nowadays, you see, like, desert and then just this bright green spot. And for them, so they're, they're not only saved from the famine, but they're given the best of the best of the best. And Joseph had called down his, his family and his father and all of them down there. And so they flourish and prosper while everyone else is, is essentially getting decimated by the, by the famine. To the point where they're losing their land. They're losing their animals. And they're even losing their lives in the sense that they all become slaves to Pharaoh. They have to sell everything to survive. But not the Israelites or Jacob's family at this point. But now um, Jacob has finally died. After that long life he's lived, um, Jacob blessed his family, and then he passed away. And that's what we saw in Genesis 49. So here's Genesis 50, verse 1. And let me pray before we continue. Lord, let us not have human reasoning. Don't give me human words to speak or, or reasoning to have. Lord, we just pray that you are heard, that your will is done. Lord, speak through your words today and speak through me. Father, I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So verse 1 says, Genesis threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel, which is Jacob. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned him for 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, "'If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, "'I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug, out for, myself. I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. "'Now let me go up and bury my father.' Then I will return. This is kind of interesting that they're doing this for Jacob, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) Jacob is getting what seems to be full honors. This is a guy who's a foreigner. This is a guy who isn't an Egyptian, who doesn't belong there. As a matter of fact, he's a shepherd, and Egyptians hate shepherds. And we know that because Scripture told us that Egyptians hate shepherds. So where uh, a 21-gun salute would be for a president... And other officials would get, like a vice president or a secretary, would get 19. Um, Jacob's getting the full. He's getting the full 21-gun salute, essentially. But let me talk a little bit about honors, too. You know, depending on whether you're an officer in the military, uh, your honors are different, too. Regular enlisted and NCOs and all those sergeants and all that kind of stuff, they don't get anything special. They just put you in the ground. Um, But all the officers and stuff, especially the general officers, get this huge fanfare and carriages and and cannons fire, and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. Um, in 2009, the Secretary of the Army actually changed the rules so that all service members who died from their wounds, not just those who died in the combat zone, that they get those same honors that were only previously afforded to officers and people who died. Um, I say all that to give you kind of a, a grasp of what's happening here. There's not a lot of detail on what's being shared, but for Jacob to get... Uh, to be embalmed, and for that process to be 40 days long, and for the the Egyptians, the entire nation of Israel, to mourn Jacob for 70 days. I mean, think about when we do a funeral, right? You show up, you're there for like an hour, the guy speaks for a long time, you're like, okay, great, everybody cries, shares a story, you go home. These guys are mourning for 70 days, and we can take that to be um, more of like the eastern version of, of a funeral or of mourning, where everybody comes to your house and they're with you for that time or that week. Um, but for a full 70 days, the nation of, e- the nation of Egypt is mourning uh, the loss of Jacob. Um, so it's a pretty big deal for, for the Egyptians to give Jacob a Hebrew shepherd Full honors. They embalm his body so that it will not decay on its trip back to Canaan. And they have mourned this foreigner for 70 days, over two months. Israelites usually mourn the loss of loved ones for seven to 30 days, even which we don't compare of. Even for our closest family, we only have a funeral or a reception once and then everybody leaves. This funeral, they probably gathered together the entirety of Jacob's family. I mean, think about if we mourn each other that way, right? They used to do that back in the day. So when we say, oh, back in the day, I mean, those days were pretty sweet when everybody really loved each other in that way. It was pretty nice. The specific reference to the physicians is kind of notable, though, as well. Um, Most cultures, their doctors were also their priests, And vice versa, their priests were their healers or their doctors. So the specific mention of just physicians here and not the priests of Egypt, which were previously mentioned, because Pharaoh has priests, um, the fact that that the physicians are specifically mentioned here um, is kind of interesting. Um, According to worldhistory.org, the priests were usually the ones that did the embalming. So it's interesting that it was physicians here instead that did it. Um, Verse 6. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father, as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court, and all the dignitaries of Egypt, beside all the members of Joseph's household, which, by the way, how big is Joseph's household? It's pretty big. And his brothers and the belonging to his household, we understand even from the time of Abraham, we have like a small city almost a huge tribe of people that belonged to Jacob's family. Beside all the members of Joseph's household and the brothers and those belonging to his family's house, father's household, only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen, which is probably because they have to take care of them, so they have to do chores while everyone else is away. <laughs> Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad, near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why the place in Jordan is called Abel Miserium. I have a few pictures here, if you click the next over. This is the Jordan, this is the Jordan River. I don't know if people rapping on it, so I kind of picked that picture. <clears throat> and then the next one, this is what a threshing floor looks like. The, the threshing floor of a Todd is an unknown place, but we know it's near the Jordan. So if it's here, near the Jordan, that means it's between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, which is a huge area that's kind of significant that they went to this place to mourn, uh, to the Jordan River. And this is why I write a manuscript, ladies and gentlemen, so I don't skip ahead, but I'm going to skip ahead right now. If I get back to it, just forgive me. Um, Essentially, what's going to happen is they go from Egypt, and let's go this way, they go from Egypt, and they go all the way up to Israel, and they go all the way to the Jordan River. Well, the place that he's going to be buried is 50 miles back the other way. So they go an extra 50 miles to go to the Jordan River, to this specific place, to mourn Jacob. Jacob. Which is kind of interesting. That's like you, you're from Seattle, and you die in Seattle. They walk your happy butt all the way to Spokane. That's where you're going to be buried. But they don't stop there. They go all the way up to Priest Lake to have a pity party. Not really. To mourn you. And then walk you all the way back down to Spokane to bury you. So it's a huge procession, a huge deal. I have a couple pictures of a procession. Here's Here's one. This is a modern procession, like look at all the police cars. Okay, here's another one. That's a procession. So, as we're talking about all of Egypt's dignitaries, all of Jacob's family, all of Joseph's household going to mourn the death of Jacob, put something close to that picture in your mind. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Okay, so verse 12 now. So Jacob's sons did as he commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place for Ephron, from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all others who had came with him to bury his father. So uh, I'm thinking that next week I'm going to put together uh, a little Bible quiz on Genesis since we studied through the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> actually, it'll be a test of how good of a teacher I am, really. Um, but... This place is the Cave of the Patriarchs, modern place, located near Mamre, which is in modern, yes, (laughs) which, this place that it's in, though, it's it's in a city, city starts with an H, yes, ding, 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 good job, awesome, you'll get a prize if there is a prize, which there probably isn't, but... (laughs) Um, these locations are important to memorize and remember. I mean they seem foreign to us that 's why it 's important to add pictures and places with and faces to all these different kinds of names because these places end up happening over and over and over and over again, and if you kind of drive into your mind, hey this place this happened in this place or this happened in Bethel and this happened in Hebron, so that way when you go to visit someday you you know right where to go <laughs> but also so that the the narrative of of the whole Bible history here makes more sense as you add the geography into it as well. Okay, verse 15, please. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive their sins. Forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Why is he crying? He's already forgiven them. And he knows his dad didn't say that either. So he's already forgiven them. And so... Have you ever forgiven somebody and then they kept saying sorry after you'd forgiven them? And how hard that is? Like, it's hard to get to the point where you forgive somebody. And then when they don't receive that forgiveness, that makes it, that makes it equally hard. What's that? They don't forgive themselves. Yeah, they don't forgive themselves or they don't receive the forgiveness that, that even though they know they didn't deserve it. Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he, he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. It is so sad that his brothers would lie again, lie again just to save their own skin. And now Joseph is heartbroken that they would even think this way. Joseph has already shown them forgiveness, cared for them and their families, pulled, them, pulled all the strings he could with Pharaoh to ensure they had the best of the best land. He didn't put his dad in the best land and them all in the slums. He put them all in the best of the best. To think that their father was the only one keeping peace between them and him is insulting to him. Joseph had peace with them long ago, but they had forgotten. We'll come back to that. Verse 22. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Maker, son of Manasseh, were placed at, the, at birth on Joseph's knees. When Joseph said to his brothers, "I'm about to die, But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. After they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. This is really interesting what Joseph is foreshadowing or prophesying here, you know, he foresees what's going to happen to the Israelites here. I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land. Come to their aid. They're in the, they're like in the land of milk and honey right now. Why do they need any kind of aid? They have the best of the best in the best part of the land. So Joseph can see what trials are going to go through and how The kingdom of Pharaoh is going to change as rulers change, and the Israelites are going to be despised and enslaved instead. But it's kind of interesting here, too, because he's making them swear an oath. And the the oath he says to them, uh, he made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up out of this place. And just before that, he said, God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, uh, to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's, he's in some way kind of passing on that covenant that he received as well. It's not the full um, block that we normally see as the covenants passed on, but he's essentially reassuring that God's not going to leave you. Just as he didn't leave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and me, God's not going to leave you. He's going to keep his promises. This man of God has finally fulfilled the purpose that God had for him and his purpose was to rescue his family. Even though he was in such a position of power, he rescued them with humility and mercy. He had the ultimate opportunity for revenge. I mean, he really did. His brothers had abandoned him, and as they come crawling on the ground, starving for food, he had, he had the entire world, essentially, under his control, under his authority. He could have just been like, nope, go off in a hole somewhere and starve. You deserve it which is really what they did deserve. But he refused that revenge and instead showed them forgiveness and mercy. He used the situation to save his family and to bring them great wealth and prominence. And even after he did all that, they still didn't trust him. This immediately brings to my mind our relationship with God and how we view it, how the forgiveness that we've received and how we so quickly forget that forgiveness. In their instance, even after all that he had done for them, they still didn't trust him, likely because they were thinking and acting as they would do. If they were in Joseph's position, they would have punished and destroyed their brothers. But really, this comes down to the fact that they had forgotten that they had been forgiven. And like I said, Jacob didn't just show them mercy, but he blessed them well beyond what they had imagined. They had that fancy underground bunker with seven-year food supply in New Zealand, right? Right? They were safe and secure, and yet they really didn't recognize the grace that they had been given, nor who had given it. This is evident in Joseph's response to them. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Saying that he's not the judge. He's not in control of their destiny. Destiny, God is. This is the point to draw out of this last chapter, to look back on the entirety of Genesis and to see the faithfulness of God, his character revealed, a good, loving, merciful judge who blesses the unworthy and leads them to trust him in faith. That's the message for you as well. Who promises to always be with them and by his very presence, care for them and ensure their family survival. And over all that, he promised them a land and a relationship with him forever. Jacob's sons represent Israel. They represent God's people. And their attitude towards Joseph reveal who they are. They are broken people in need of God to save them. And even while God has done so, they still live in fear, afraid of the punishment that they deserve. We are no different in that respect. We are God's chosen. We are his redeemed. We have received forgiveness and yet we often live in fear. That fear, I think, drives us to one of two things. To give ourselves to sin disregarding the hope that we have. Or to walk on eggshells before God, frightened and unconfident about who we are and what the future holds. God has shown himself to us. He has shown all of us his great blessing, his mercy, his love. He has given us everything. He's given us his son. And so often, we just forget it. Things get busy. Things get distracting. Worries pile up. Our own failures pile up. We view our weakness, and then we just get distracted and we forget that we are forgiven. But it's so essential for Christians to live like to live like it and understand that they are forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's so often and I was one of those people who in my walk with Christ as I was growing in my faith felt trapped in this view, forgetting that I was forgiving, failing to, failing to understand the, the depth of God's mercy and his grace. And that restrained me in so many ways from trusting him. From understanding what freedom in Christ means. God has shown himself to us. He is God And yet, toward us, he has shown great patience, great love, and great sacrifice. Isn't our problem similar to those brothers that we forget that we are forgiven? And what we have been forgiven from? And who has done the forgiving? That we are redeemed not just because he said so, but because Jesus paid the punishment that we deserved. That is why we gather to hear his word every week, because we need to hear it. We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear that we are forgiven. We need it like the brothers, so we don't lose track of the promises given to us. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And yet five minutes after hearing the good news of God's mercy, we slip into living in fear and disregard. But that's, why the testimony of God ser- that's what the testimony of God serves for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the entirety of his word speaks of his love and his plan for us. That's why we need our parents, right, to over and over tell us, I love you, I love you, I love you. Because as kids, we make so many mistakes. As kids, we forget to do the dishes, to feed the bird, take out the dog beat the cat, you know, whatever it is, we forget to do those things. And we fail to be nice to the people we need to be nice to or to do the things we're responsible to do. So we need the forgiveness and the love of our parents, just like we need the forgiveness and love of our father. We need that reiterated to us. I love you. I love you. I love you. Our parents didn't tolerate our disobedience. They disciplined us for it. But did that change their love towards us? No. How valuable we must be to him for Jesus to give himself for us. And that's why we should read scripture, because it reminds us of his love and his promises. It puts us in our place. Who else can die in peace knowing that their life is in the hands of their creator, except for his children who belong to him? So I pray, and you can all call this your application, that you would pray with me. God, we pray that you would not let us forget your faithfulness. That you would be forever on our minds. That you would use all creation to make us give our worries to you. That the changing colors of fall would remind us that we cannot control the future, the world around us, or even our lives. Time. We belong to you. Teach us to number our days and to make them count for you who have given them to us. Remind us that you are good. It is you who protects us, empowers us, and gives us purpose. That hope, strength, and joy, and happiness all belong to you. Make us be thankful that you are in control, Lord. You are the one who saves us. We call on you sure that you will answer, Lord. Father, I pray that you would grow us and prune us. We wouldn't see your discipline or or our past mistakes, Lord, as things that keep us from you. We need to understand that there is no condemnation in your son, Lord. And you have claimed us as your own. Help us to recognize and understand that we are your children, part of your family, co-heirs with Christ, Lord. Lord, our feelings betray us, our emotions betray us. Lord, I'm so thankful that your truth stands. That you are God and you love us. And you've given everything for us. Father, I pray that this week and... For the rest of our lives, Lord, that's a tall order, but I know you can fill it, that you were to remind us that your son Jesus has risen again, that his resurrection is promised to all those who put their faith in you. So lead us to trust you all the days of our lives, Lord. And I ask this in your name, amen. So I hope that like me, go ahead and come up. I hope that like me, studying through Genesis has broken down the intimidation of the Old Testament. That you know that God who promised a savior to Adam and Eve is the same one who punished the wicked in the flood. You now know that he guided our ancestors to personally know him. And in their weakness and blindness, he, God led them along to himself. He was the one who built their faith by which they would receive his grace and mercy. Now that you know more about him, I hope your relationship with him will grow and your trusting of him as a result.